May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In 2019, we welcome 13 people into membership here as part of Brighton's Parish Church. We are unique in these numbers compared to our sister churches across the Braes area, for only one other congregation welcomed any new members, and that congregation only welcomed one new member all year. It's my hope that in a few weeks' time we may see another person come into membership and welcome during our morning service. And I know of at least one other young mum who wants to explore membership with us by attending the Open Doors course in the summer term. And so if anyone else would be interested in finding out about membership, please do come and speak with me in due course. When someone comes into membership, I discuss with them the foundations of the Christian faith. And when we formally welcome them on a Sunday morning, we collectively affirm the faith as well. Often we do this by saying together the Apostles' Creed, which summarizes the core beliefs that are taught in the Scriptures. The Creed reads, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And hopefully, we're familiar with these words and the beliefs that underpin them. And to stray from any of this is to stray from Christianity. But did you notice that I deliberately missed out a line? Could you tell me the line? If I asked you to talk to your neighbor, would you be able to share it with them? I won't. Um, the line is, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Of all the lines in the creed, it's probably the one you'd rather cut out. We kind of like the idea that Jesus forgives and that there's resurrection of the body. We like the idea of a savior and we like the idea that Father God loves us. But the idea of there being a judge and of all people being judged, well, that's something we'd rather not think about. We'd rather skip the passages like today in James where God is being described as the sole judge of all. And we might wonder, well, after all, isn't this just an idea that's a bit antiquated? Isn't it just relevant for a darker age rather than today? And anyway, what gives God the right to stand in judgment of any of us? It's fitting that we might consider such matters on the very day we celebrate communion. And I would like to read you now a short story uh, which I discovered early on in my faith journey and answered and engaged with some of these questions in a helpful manner for myself. And I hope it will be of help for you as well. So let us imagine this scene. At the end of time, billions of people were standing on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with shame, 
but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can He know about suffering? Snapped a young woman. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. In another group, a Negro boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime other than being black. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such stories each with a complaint against God for the evil and suffering He had permitted in His world. How lucky God was to live in heaven, they said, where all was sweetness and light. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because they had suffered the most. A Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, other individuals horribly deformed by ill health. In the center of the vast plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, He must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man, let that man be born a Jew to know the meaning of unjust discrimination. And let him be born into a poor family in suspicious circumstances so that the world sniggers behind his back about how his real father is. Give him an almost impossible job, a task so difficult that even his family will think he is out of his mind when he tries to do it. A task that turns the authorities of the country against him so that they seek his life and hunt him down. Let him live as a wanderer, with no real income and no real way to make money. Let him live off the charity of others. Let him be betrayed by one of his closest friends and brought with false charges before a cowardly judge. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury, convicted of false evidence, and sentenced to death by the cruelest means of punishment devised by man. But first let him be tortured, while all his friends desert him, and no one puts up a hand to save him. Let even his father turn his back on him and disown him. Then he will know what it is to be truly alone. Only then let him die, publicly, stripped, beaten, and in full view of a hostile crowd, a long, slow, agonizing death that spares him none of the pain that misused men and women have suffered at the hands of tyrants and oppressors through countless centuries. May he taste the full depth of it all. As each leader announced their portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. As the last word was spoken, a hush fell upon the crowd. Across all this vast multitude, there was not a sound. A silence fell. So deep it seemed as if the entire universe was holding its breath. For at that moment, all realized that God had already served 
his sentence. In the person of Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, the Holy One who was crucified, God served his sentence. Not because he had done anything wrong, rather he came to give his life that we may have eternal life. He came that the evil of the world would not go unpunished, and the suffering of this world would not go unnoticed or unending. Father, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to show on the cross the holiness, the justice, the righteousness of God. James speaks of these matters in the beginning of chapter 5, highlighting the abysmal treatment of the poor by the rich, such that the injustice shown by the rich likely led to the death of the poor. And as such, James can say their selfishness was a form of condemnation and murder of innocent people. To both parties, rich and poor, the judgment of God brings a message. To the rich, wrongs will be righted, evil will be punished, and to the poor that their cries have been heard. As such, James exhorts us later, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door knowing that Jesus will return, and that when He comes, He will judge the world, usher in God's kingdom. Well, that's supposed to help us persevere. It's supposed to help us wait patiently, and in our waiting, show grace to one another. Friends, God is judge. He alone is qualified to be judge. And in His righteousness, He will set the world right. Evil will be punished. Suffering does not go unrecognized. The idea of God as judge is not antiquated, but a truth as relevant now as for any time. Thank God He is our righteous, holy judge. And based on that view, you might look a little bit differently at that line from the creed. You might begin to think, well, it's actually quite good news evil punished, wrongs righted, suffering recognized, and will be eradicated when Jesus returns as judge to usher in the glorious new heaven and new earth. Good news. Good news. But the first part of our reading today in chapter 4 reminds us of another side of that. We are temporal, like a mist that is here one day and gone tomorrow. As such, God alone is the one lawgiver and judge. And so we should humble ourselves under His authority. We should submit to His Word the teaching contained in the Scriptures. In verses 11 to 12, James raises the idea that to speak ill of another is to speak against the law. For in the Scriptures, God forbade speaking in slanderous ways. And to do so then is to break the law. It's to break God's Word. And doing so is to speak against it. Because in effect, we would be judging the law, saying, well, I like that law and I'm going to obey it, but 
This other one I don't like so much, so I'm just going to ignore it. You're judging the law. You're speaking against it rather than allowing the whole of God's law to shape us. And so the central issue is, will we humble ourselves under God's Word? Will we see that He alone has ultimate authority? He alone is lawgiver and judge. James, in these verses, wants us to have a right understanding of God and of ourselves. And in that place of humility, find freedom. Because when we appreciate something of the glory of God, including His rightful place as judge of us all, then we can more fully heed the words of Jesus who said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So once again, thank God He is our righteous, holy judge. He will come again to set the world right, and that can give us perseverance. But knowing He will come again as judge upon our own lives, well, that sets us free, free to stop judging one another. We're free to live in humility. How might that change society? How might it change how we treat one another if we stopped judging? But this idea of God as judge can sometimes raise in us fear, but it shouldn't because Paul writes that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The idea of God as judge is meant to cultivate perseverance and humility, according to James, not fear. Paul can, can reach this conclusion in Romans chapter 8 because of what he's written earlier on in Romans. Let us read a little of that. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness, for He Himself is fair and just, and He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. Friends, God, our judge, has made a way for us to be forgiven, a way for us to be set free from condemnation and come into right relationship with Himself. All we need to do is trust in Jesus to trust in His death and His resurrection. And in that moment of humility, in that split second of decision, all fear of judgment goes. All fear of God being judged goes. For we appreciate that He did what He did in Jesus because of love. Because He loves you. He loves me. And because of love, he calls us to humble ourselves. And when we appreciate the love of God, all fear goes. Brothers and sisters, on this day when we remember, when we celebrate and make known the death of Jesus through bread and wine, we affirm these truths that in righteousness God will judge 
sin. And he must. His holiness will not allow him to overlook the slightest blot or stain. But equally, equally in love, God paid the price of our sin. He wants us all to be forgiven. He wants all of us to be in right relationship with Himself. And so He gave His own life for us. All that remains is for you and I to humble ourselves, to come near to God and simply ask for His forgiveness, trusting in His great promise to do so. I pray we will all come before Him with such humility, knowing then that we are welcomed into His family and welcome to the table, which, was, which reminds us that God is judge and God is love. May it be so. Let us pray. You may be very familiar with these ideas. You may have been journeying with God and coming to church for decades. But all of us need to hear it from time to time and need to come back to these core truths. For otherwise, the cross and this meal are meaningless. So, in a moment of stillness, why don't you just, in your own mind, maybe thank God. Thank Him for His holy love that would not overlook your sin, but also made a way for that sin to be forgiven at no expense to you. I wonder too if there's anyone who needs to respond this morning. James 5 verse 9 says, The judge is standing at the door. He's chapping. At the door of your heart. And he's saying, maybe this is the day that you open that door to him. Not out of fear, but out of appreciation for all that Jesus has done. Is it time to bend the knee, my brother or sister? Is it time to bend the knee and come under the authority of God? To humble yourself? To realize you're not good enough to earn heaven? Because no one is. You'd have to be completely perfect. Is it time to bend the knee and accept what Jesus has done for you? But if you don't ask, you don't receive. I wonder if someone needs to pray a prayer and ask Jesus for that today. 
And just in case there is, let me lead you in that prayer. You say it quietly in your thoughts. I'll say it out loud for you. Jesus, I know that I'm not perfect. I know inside there's a bit of darkness. I say wrong things. I do wrong things. But I hear your invitation to be forgiven of that. To be welcomed into your family. To know for certain that when judgment day comes, I don't need to be perfect on that day because you've paid it all for me already. And I accept your offer, Jesus. I bend the knee. I humble myself. And will allow you to be my Lord this day and every day after. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Please give me your spirit to help me live in trust of you, to follow you all the days of my life. Because you gave your life for me. In your name I pray. Amen. If you made that prayer for the first time, I encourage you to come speak with me and tell me. Because the Apostle Paul says that it is with our mouth that we declare Jesus is Lord and with our heart that we believe. And the two go hand in hand. So please come and let me know that you can say, I've prayed that prayer and I can pray for you and I can journey with you and encourage you in your faith. So come speak with me if you made that prayer for the first time today.